Welcome to the Doctority Canada Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Sheshav and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institutions. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Anna Duncan, who is a second-year plastic surgery resident at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Anna grew up in St. John, New Brunswick, and went on to complete her undergrad in biology at Mount Allison University. Following this, she went on to complete her medical school at Dalhousie University. Her academic interests include reconstructive breast and hand surgery. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So to begin, I'd love to get started with a big picture overview of what it's like to train at your program. So uh, what it's like to train at our program, uh, I would say broad strokes, it's a very close-knit group. Um, We have uh, a small group of residents, but we're all very uh, collegial and we work well together. We also have a small staff group um, and we know all of our staff very well. I would say that it's a very people-oriented program and and in that sense you really just get to know everyone really well you develop great relationships with the staff and your co-residents and i mean one word to describe it is close-knit that's really nice yeah it's very it's it's very lovely (laughs) so how many residents do you guys take per year So we typically take, um, it it depends, it varies year to year, but we typically take between one and three residents per year, Um, typically one to two uh, Canadian medical grads and one international medical grad per year. And in your first two years of uh, training, how much plastics exposure do you have? We have a pretty uh, good amount um, in our first two years. In our first year, we have four months on service. We have a month at the very beginning of residency, and then we go off service for a little while, and then we come back for a three-month mentorship-based rotation where we're full-time with one staff, which is really great to build a foundation for uh, your junior, most junior year. And then you spend the, the rest of your eight months off service of first year, and then second year, you uh, start second year right off the bat doing six months off service, so it's a little bit of a slog. But um, then once you're done those six months, you come on service permanently. So I just, I finished my six months off service uh, about two months ago, two or three months ago, and now I'm back on service for good. So I'm not doing any more off service for the rest of residency. So I like the way it's set up because you do a lot of off surface, right? You do a lot of off surface right in the beginning, but once you're done it, you're done it for good. And you can just kind of focus on, on plastics after that. And could you tell me a little bit more about what the experience is like on these off service rotations? Yeah, so our off-service rotations in first year are, uh, we do two months of gen surge, one month of anesthesia, eMERGE, infectious disease, dermatology, vascular, and neurosurge. So it's quite a varied um, group of rotations. Uh, They're all one-month rotations, so quite quick snappers, but it's good. It builds you like a general foundation for being a surgical resident, and it's, it's really um, fast-paced for sure because you're constantly changing what service you're on but I felt like once I finished all of my uh, first year rotations I just had a very nice broad foundation on which to build 
And incorporated into all of that, we do have a surgical foundations program, which is a longitudinal program that all of the surgical residents at Dalhousie do. And you um, do that continuously throughout your entire first year. So that really helps to build all of those foundational uh, surgical skills. And so of the different rotations you're doing, could you tell me a little bit about the different sites that you rotate through when you're on these rotations? So most of our rotations are at the Halifax Infirmary, which is our tertiary care trauma center in Halifax. We do uh, go over to the Victoria General Hospital for some rotations, specifically some of our general surgery uh, rotations. We go there for dermatology as well as infectious disease, but most of our rotations are at the trauma center. And then yeah, it's pretty much just between those two hospitals for those rotations. I personally, when I did my eMERGE uh, rotation, I did that in Dartmouth, which is a community hospital just across the uh, the harbor, basically, in a, in a smaller community called Dartmouth. And that was a really great experience as well. Other residents do their eMERGE uh, rotation at the Halifax Infirmary, which is also great and has its pros and cons. So it is a bit distributed, but mostly it's all concentrated at the Halifax Infirmary for the most part. And are there any fellows uh, that come to your program? We usually have a microsurgery fellow at any given time, but that is our only, I mean, with the exception of uh, some fellowships that might just be on a case-by-case basis that come through. That's our only real fellow that we'll ever have on our service. So it's actually quite nice because we're not competing for uh, OR time with a bunch of fellows. It's actually, you know, just us. Um, so, and, and oftentimes the fellow who is on service ha- is, a, is a resident who's recently graduated from our program. So that adds another element of it. You know, it's someone you know and you can continue to learn from them but because they're staying for, you know, another six months to do micro fellowship. Awesome. So I just love to switch gears a bit sure. and ask about the research opportunities. Yes, of course. We do have lots of research going on here and there. We have our, our main sort of uh, research director is Dr. Michael Basuli, and he is primarily based at the IWK, which is the Children's Hospital. He oversees most of the research projects that happen in our department and will be our kind of point person to uh, coordinate research proposals. He'll help you strategize for you know, statistics. He'll help you troubleshoot um, grant proposals and uh, you know, publication, everything you know, from A to Z, uh, everything that you, uh, every kind of advice you would need about, about getting a research project off the ground. Uh, so he's a really great resource to have and he's extremely knowledgeable. And it's very resident driven in our, in our division. There's lots of little projects going on. We also have a few RCTs that are currently um, underway. So it really depends what your interests are. But I, I would say the overarching theme is that if you're interested in a project and you have an idea, you can just kind of run with it and you'll find a staff that will support you. Um, you don't necessarily have to jump onto something that's already ongoing. We have uh, lots of support for any number of projects that you could be that you could potentially be interested in. It's kind of resident driven. That sounds really good. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and what kind of support is available for presenting research? So we actually get a lot of support um, for presenting research just in our 
in terms of our vacation days, we, we are allotted a, one week a year in addition to our, our vacation time to go and present to conferences. And that is often up for discussion as well. Like say if you were going to multiple different conferences in one year, there's certainly you know, is sometimes more leeway in terms of if you need to take time off uh, to go and do that. And then financially speaking, it's uh, it varies year to year based on how much uh, funds our division has to allot to um, travel stipends and things like that. But we are given support to go to conferences both when we are presenting and when we're not presenting. Um, when you are presenting, you have a little bit more funding allotted to you. And But even if you're not presenting, you have a certain number of uh, conferences you can go to that the division will either cover the cost or subsidize the cost. And in your opinion, are there any limits on the support that you can get from research? So one thing that our department is working on is getting a full-time research assistant for the department so that they can assist with things like RCTs, because currently we do have a few RCTs that are underway, and a lot of the administrative and booking uh, tasks are are sort of harder to manage by the residents managing them on their own. So that's something that our our division is actually in the process of uh, of addressing by hiring someone kind of full-time to do book all the follow-up appointments and uh, keep track of some of the paperwork and help with things like that. So that would that would be a limitation, but I think it is actively being addressed by the by the department right now because we are getting a little bit more adventurous with our with our research interests. Awesome. So I'd love to switch gears again and ask, what is call like? So typically call is, um, it's home call, which I think a lot of uh, plastic surgery uh, programs are home call. So we typically do, we do max one in four call, and it's quite standard to do one in four call when you are a junior. And then as you become more senior, uh, you tend to do less call. You'll do more likely, you know, one in five or one in six. That can vary quite a bit, especially when our resident numbers are low, like they are right now. We only have, I think, four or five residents on service um, because our fifth years are, are off studying for their exam and our first years are, are off service. So, you know, even our fourth years right now are doing one in four call, but everyone's quite good about it and pulls their own weight and it, it, it works out. We, we're spread thin sometimes, but somehow all the work gets done. It, um, and then in terms of the actual call itself, it can be quite busy. I don't know what it's like at other centers, but for us, because we're the only trauma uh, center in the province and we're the only tertiary care facility um, and there aren't a lot of plastic surgeons in Nova Scotia outside of Halifax, we are often covering the entire province. So a lot of my call shift will be taking calls from Antigonish or Sydney or Yarmouth. Um, these are hospitals that are three, four, five, six hours away from us. And I have to triage those calls. I have to uh, decide if the patient needs to come to Halifax that very night or the next morning um, and arrange transport. So it, it is a lot of responsibility, especially as a junior, because you start doing solo call in your second year um, and you're, it's just you and the staff. So it can be quite busy, especially in the busier months like summertime when people are um, having more accidents and things like that. And, and you are covering the entire province pretty much. So 
it, it can be it can be a bit of a, a bit of a grind but uh, uh, we see a, a lot a lot a lot of uh, trauma and um, we see things from all over the province and yeah it's it's a great learning opportunity for sure and what is the allied primary health practitioner support like so we we don't uh, in our department we don't have uh, physicians assistants or um, nurse practitioners on our that help with our unit or our inpatients. We do have our clinic nurses, which assist us in a a lot of ways in the clinic, um, from making splints to doing dressings to setting up VON, and they will make our clinics run a lot uh, more smoothly in that sense. Um, But unlike other centers, we we haven't introduced uh, PAs or NPs into our our, um, division at all. And are there any opportunities for elective rotations? There are. So this may have changed since I was in first year, but we did have a month for electives in first year. Um, I did a community elective in a smaller town in, uh, in Nova Scotia called Bridgewater, where I worked with a community plastic surgeon and just got a good sense of what it would like to what it would be like to do a community job and uh, it was a great experience I got lots of hands-on opportunity got to um, get a lot of autonomy in the operating room and I was really the only learner there so it was it was great one-on-one time um, and then beyond that electives really ramp up for us in fourth year when people are looking to get to know different fellowship opportunities and get their faces out there from that perspective. So beyond beyond uh, first year, fourth year would kind of be the next opportunity to do to do electives. Um, but that being said, our our department is very flexible when it comes to um, special requests to do things. And so if you're someone who's interested in something and and you have an opportunity that you want to explore, uh, you're always safe to make a proposal to our program director, our division head, and that's never gonna just be shot down. Like, if you have a a reasonable proposal and you really have an experience that you wanna do and there's coverage for it, then our our department is quite supportive of people, you know, seeking out opportunities that are gonna enrich their education. And what about global rotations or electives and trips? Yeah, so um, there are definitely lots of opportunities for that. Um, Dr. Bazuli is one staff that uh, frequently participates in Operation Smile. So he will encourage uh, specifically fourth and fifth year residents to go on um, uh, Operation Smile missions with him. That's always an, an option for those who are interested and it is encouraged. And then there have also been other uh, more sporadic kind of opportunities that have come up now and again. Uh, a few years ago, one of our more senior residents went to Nepal with one of our staff, Dr. Tang. They uh, worked in Kathmandu. They were doing hand surgery. Dr. Tang is a peripheral nerve specialist. So they did lots of different hand and peripheral nerve surgeries. And they also focused a lot on educating the, the local surgeons there on uh, ways, to do, uh, ways to do surgery under local anesthetic. So that was a really, really cool opportunity that came up. So um, anytime something like that is available, residents are for sure encouraged to uh, participate. And what are the cosmetic experience like? Yeah, so for cosmetics, we have a, we have a, great, a great options for exposure. 
anything that happens, any cosmetic surgery that happens at our main site, the Halifax Infirmary, if you are assigned to that uh, staff when the surgery is happening, of course, you'll be uh, scrubbing in on the surgery and involved in that procedure. But then outside of just your regular mentorship-based rotations, if you show an interest in doing a day uh, down at the Landing Surgical Center, which is where most of the cosmetic surgeries in Halifax happen, you do have opportunities to go there. And then in fourth year, we have uh, something kind of unique called the Resident Aesthetic Clinic, which is basically an entire aesthetic clinic that's run by the fourth year residents. Um, They do mainly um, injectables like Botox fillers, but you can also do you know, other procedures like blepharoplasty and breast augmentation. And not only do you get nice aesthetic experience, but you also get experience um, being kind of the primary surgeon and operating your own clinic and time management skills, um, things like that. So I've, I haven't done it myself because I'm only in second year, but I've heard really great things about the resident aesthetic clinic in terms of building your confidence uh, in doing those kind of aesthetic consults. And is there any experience with gender affirmation surgery? Yeah, it is one thing where we are smaller centered that we don't see as much of because it's just not a center where we get a lot of referrals for for gender affirmation surgery, but there have been uh, residents who've had uh, exposure to specifically top surgery. Um, that is something that happens here a lot, but bottom surgery is not as common here because we're um, we're not a center that has necessarily the multidisciplinary team needed uh, to provide you know all of the support that those patients would would need going through that process so uh, you wouldn't necessarily get as much exposure to the full breadth of ge- uh, gender affirmation surgery that being said, we have had residents in the past who were quite interested in gender affirmation surgery and support was given for them to do electives elsewhere so that they could get that exposure. So that's kind of a recurring theme is anywhere where you know our, our certain site doesn't have the exposure or can't offer it, our uh, division is very supportive of residents going and doing electives elsewhere so that they can get that exposure if it's something they're interested in doing perhaps a fellowship in. Yeah, that sounds really, really good. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Could you tell me a little bit more about any perks about your program that you'd like to share? I think something something that a lot of people comment on when they're applying to our program that they seem to be interested in is our mentorship based program. And it truly is mentorship based right from R1. All of our rotations, you are paired with a staff and it's you and that staff, regardless of whether you're in R1 and R2 and R3 and R4. So that means that you're not sharing that staff or their caseload with another resident or with a fellow. So if you're going to be in the operating room with that staff, you're going to be their primary assist. And as you become more uh, senior, you're going to be the primary operator. So I think that it allows for especially junior learners to gain a lot of confidence in the OR from an early stage and to be able to have sort of graduated uh, iterations of increasing responsibility when you're operating because you're working with someone who works with you every day and they can say, oh, I, you know how to do this. Uh, I've seen you do this before. So yeah, you do this one. 
Whereas if you're working with a different person every day and they have all these different residents they're working with, maybe they are not as familiar with what your skills are. So they'll be a bit more hesitant to let you take over um, certain steps in a procedure. So I think that that's a real perk of our program because I, I think that it just allows you to build a relationship with a mentor and for them also to you know, get you operating sooner and get get your skills up sooner. Um, you know, even as an R1, as an R2, uh, you get a lot of exposure. And then another thing I would say that our program is great for is our skills labs. Um, we have an excellent uh, cadaver lab, a skills lab um, that we have on site. And we have skills labs almost every month. Uh, where all of the residents will go for a full day. We're released from, uh, often for a full day or a half day, we're released from our clinical responsibilities. And we get to do um, micro skills labs. We have done cleft palate skills labs. We have done joint skills labs with orthopedics doing approach to the wrist. I'm trying to think of the other ones. There's so many. It's it's actually overwhelming how many skills labs we do. But it's it's wonderful because... Um, for example, uh, a week ago, I was doing a VRAM flap with uh, my my uh, preceptor, and he said, have you ever done one of these before? And I said, actually, I haven't done a VRAM before, but I've raised one in the skills lab. So it's great because um, it gives you an opportunity to uh, practice flaps and uh, microsurgical um, anastomoses and dissections and um, get familiar with anatomy, do, you know, but do uh, nerve decompressions that you wouldn't necessarily see very often clinically, but you can get to know the anatomy and practice the approach uh, in the skills lab. And um, it's, it's really exceptional. And I'm not sure if other programs do them as often as we do, but it's also a great bonding experience because all the residents are there together and working together. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah. And is there any extra funding for things such as loops or textbooks? Yes, we, we do have extra funding. Our division uh, is great about supporting initiatives. Um, most recently, our division uh, gave us uh, a $5,000 budget to remodel our resident library. So we actually completely redid our resident library. Um, it hadn't been updated in probably 20 years. So it got a, a, a total facelift, a clean out, and now it's a great environment to uh, study, especially for the fifth years who are busily preparing for their exams. Um, so that's just one example of where our division will kind of put aside money and say, hey, this would be a great uh, thing for the residents and would improve morale and, and help you guys out. That's the most recent example I can think of. So what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in? I think most of our residents would say that coming out of Dal, you really just become a very well-rounded uh, plastic surgeon with a broad uh, knowledge base and uh, very strong general skills. Because our training site is, is so generalized and we see a little bit of everything, you, re you really do become a strong you know, general plastic surgeon. That being said, I think our exposure to hand and peripheral nerve is especially um, strong because of having Dr. Tang on our staff. 
and he's a great resource to have in that in that sense and also i think that just by virtue of doing of covering the entire province we see an enormous amount of hand trauma so a lot of our call is is hand trauma call and um, you get great exposure to to hand surgery uh, for that reason but yes overall well-rounded uh, training experience very strong general plastic surgeons with a little extra uh, maybe from the hand side of things. <laughs> and if you had to, how would you improve your program? I think that one thing we can always improve on, um, and as I kind of alluded to before, is just research support in terms of more formalized uh, support structures. So I think it will be great to get an official re- research assistant for our department that can sort of um, help with different projects that are going on and make it a little bit easier to have multiple things going on at once. Uh, and that is something that's being addressed. And, and I think it's it's good because residents are starting to get more ambitious with the kind of projects that, they're, that they are seeking out. So that will be something that, that will be quite helpful in the future. So now I'd love to transition a bit and hear more about your department leadership. So that's your chair, chief, and program director. Yeah, so our chair or chief of our program is Dr. Jason Williams. He is an excellent resource. Everyone in our department absolutely loves him. He is uh, primarily has a, a breast reconstruction microsurgery uh, practice. He also does aesthetic surgery and, of course, general plastics, which most, most of our staff do. He uh, did a fellowship in microsurgery at MD Anderson, so he is a wonderful resource from a microsurgical standpoint and is also the primary preceptor for our fellows that come through and do a microsurgery fellowship. Our program director is uh, Dr. Margaret Wheelock. She uh, primarily works at the IWK, the kids' site, doing general pediatric plastic surgery, but also specializing in congenital hand, um, which is a very interesting practice, and we've all had great exposures through her. Um, But then she also does adult breast. So she has a very um, interesting practice, congenital hand and adult breast. um, And she will also do a lot of uh, microsurgery, uh, microsurgical breast reconstruction at the adult site as well. We don't have an assistant program director. We just have one program director. Other notable faculty, I mean, all of our faculty are are wonderful. I think I've mentioned a few of them, Um, but you just get to know them all quite easily because you can't uh, be in, you can't be in our program and not know everyone. It's it's too small of a program. <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit more about what it's like to work with each of them? It's really uh, it's really wonderful working with each of them. Given our mentorship based model, you you can't help but get to know our faculty very closely. Uh, in the three months that you work with them, you're really working with them one on one every day. So I think it's a very rich learning experience and our faculty are all incredibly friendly and welcoming and um, it's a safe learning environment. It's an environment where you feel safe to ask questions and um, to try new things and to get comfortable. Um, They're an extremely, extremely welcoming faculty and I have gotten that feedback from medical students who have rotated through from elsewhere in Canada who say, 
wow, you guys have the nicest staff of anywhere in Canada. And it's true, just based on my elective experiences. There are nice staff everywhere, but I can't think of a single person in our department who I wouldn't be comfortable uh, going to with a problem or calling in the middle of the night because I'm worried about a patient. I'm, I'm never afraid to call them for help, which is, which is truly, um, it's truly special and it, it makes you feel safe as a learner. Yeah, that does sound really nice. Can you tell me about a time when you or another resident brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? I can. Um, this year, our, not my cohort, but the R1s below us, they were trying out a new, a new uh, rotation schedule, basically where the R1s in their first month of residency, instead of being assigned to a specific staff, they were assigned as kind of the day call resident. So it meant that they were spending a lot more time doing day call instead of going to the OR with their specific staff. And the rationale behind it was that uh, as an R1, it's good to get used to, you know, taking lots of calls from the periphery and from eMERGE and getting used to triaging things and that that would sort of um, help you develop your understanding of plastic surgery and all that it has to offer very early on in training and getting used to how to manage acute presentations. And the feedback that was given from the R1s was that although they felt that that was valuable, they really felt like they were missing out on that mentorship-based relationship and that they weren't getting to develop skills even in minors or in clinic as much because they were spending a lot of time on day call. And that was incorporated almost immediately by our program director. And I think that within a week, they were changed back to a mentorship model. Still doing, still, you know, doing more day calls so that they could build up their skills that way. But uh, it really amazed me how receptive our program director was to that feedback. And I was quite impressed with how quickly um, action was taken to, to, make that ex- to make their experience more, more educational and more beneficial. So that was one recent example that I think just demonstrates how they really, they really listen to our feedback when they're planning out our rotations and they're planning out the educational side of things. Uh, it's, you, you do have a voice when you're a resident here. And I think that that was a great example of, of our staff really caring about how changes in the um, rotation schedule were going to affect us and affect our learning. So it was, a good, it was a good one. And what kind of roles do residents play in department decision making? So that could be something as uh, choosing new faculty or choosing new residents. Uh, Yeah, so as I've kind of alluded to before, it does seem like we are a program that factors resident uh, input into a lot of decisions, Uh, and that includes things like CARMS. Uh, For example, we always have two residents on our CARMS committee uh, every year, and they they are very involved in the process. So for example, this year um, I was on the CARMS committee and myself and another resident had our own station because we, we do multiple mini interviews. Um, so we had our own station and it was it was really interesting to be a part of the process. And, and I did feel as though in the discussions 
over our rank list and file review that our opinion did seem to matter. And our faculty often looked over to us and said, well, what do the residents think? Because, you know, you guys are going to be the ones working with these people every day. What do you think of their personality and their work ethic? And how do you think that they would fit in with our team? So it does feel nice that they they care about our input. And I, I did truly feel as though our input was important to them. So now I'd like to hear a little bit more about the logistics of how residents live. Do most residents own or rent? Uh, I would say it's pretty evenly split. Um, a lot of the residents rent because um, Halifax has become increasingly expensive over the last few years. So to live in the downtown core close to the hospitals, um, it, it's more affordable to rent for sure. That being said, we do have a few residents who have started out in first year and have already bought houses kind of more out in the suburbs <laughs> um, because they just they just want that lifestyle and they want a little bit more space. Um, so, but I would say it's about 50-50. And what's the commute like from where most residents live to the different sites? Is it necessary to have a car? So currently I live maybe a three-minute walk to the hospital. <laughs> it's really great. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't... I own a car, but I don't use it at all. And because we are concentrated at mainly one site, you really, if you lived you know, quite close to the hospital, you really wouldn't need a car uh, for work purposes. The other hospital that we work at, the IWK, is about a 10 minute walk down the street. So there's really, as far as the different sites that we work at, there's really no need to have a car if you live, if you're well positioned um, living right between those two hospitals. That being said, the residents who do um, own houses or live a little bit outside the downtown core, their commute is never more than 15 minutes. It's very quick. Um, and there's not a ton of traffic in Halifax like there would be in Vancouver, Toronto. So um, even if you do have a bit of a drive to work, it's, n- it's nothing onerous. And are you ever in a situation where you have to go to multiple sites uh, in one day or within one rotation? Or is it generally one rotation, one site? It is generally one rotation, one site. Um, there's the odd time when you might have to go over to the other site. For example, when we collaborate with ENT or general surgery um, over at the Victoria General Hospital, we may have to go over to that site, but that would be very sporadic and rare. It's certainly not the norm for us. In a typical day, we would stay stay at the Halifax Infirmary. And then when you're assigned to the IWK, when you do your um, IWK rotation, you'd pretty much just be there every day. And what is the breakdown of residents in terms of people being single, married, or having kids? Um, I would say that the majority of our residents are either in long-term relationships or married. Not a ton of our residents right now have kids. I actually don't think any of them do. (laughs) Um, But in other years, there have been residents who've who've had children. Um, But yeah, most of our residents are in long-term relationships, married, and there, there are a few singles, but <laughs> yeah, for the most part, they're um, married or in long-term relationships. And what do you like about living in Halifax? 
So I grew up in a fairly small city, uh, St. John. It's about 75,000 people, so not huge. Um, I knew I didn't want to live in a massive city, but at the same time, it is fun to live somewhere that has a little bit more going on. I think the thing that I love the most about Halifax is it somehow is a big city and a small town all in one. You have all of the amenities of a big city, art galleries, theater, um, sports events, festivals, but you also have all of the charm and perks of a smaller city. You'll go somewhere to a coffee shop or to a, the gym and you just see people you know, you're constantly running into people, you, you get to know the community very well. And then again, the beautiful thing about living in Halifax is you can get in your car and drive 15 minutes and be in a park where there's birds and greenery and no concrete to be seen. Um, so the access to nature is really unparalleled. Uh, it, it really does. It really is the perfect size city in my mind. So that's most of what I wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to give about either your program or about the process of choosing a residency? I think that in terms of choosing a residency, it's just important to, uh, as much as you can in these COVID times, get to know the residents at each at each program. It's something that I tried to do as much as I could when I was on electives. And what I really tried to focus on, and this was a piece of advice that a plastics resident gave me, was look at the residents, look at the kind of people they are, their personalities, what their interests are, and ask yourself, is this my group of people? Do I fit in with these people? Because at the end of the day, you spend so much time together that you, you really do want to vibe with that group of people and you want to mesh well with the culture of that center. So think about that a lot. It is important and, you know, every program is going to be great. At the end of the day, you're going to be a plastic surgeon and you'll get great training no matter where you go. But, you know, don't uh, overlook uh, how important it is to get along with the culture of the center and the program and, and, and the people who are there, because those are the ones you're going to be working with day in, day out and in the trenches. For sure. Uh, and I'd like to end on a question for our listeners. So could you please ask our listeners your favorite pimping question related to plastic surgery? Okay, my favorite pimping question is because it's super niche. And you really only know the answer to this question if you spent any time at Sunnybrook at the Ross Tilly Burton Center. What are the three P's of tangential excision in burn surgery? I've been, at, I've been asked that a few times, and it is a very niche question, but <laughs> if you know the answer, it's always impressive. Okay, thanks so much for speaking with me today, Anna. I really appreciate your time, and I'm sure the listeners will gain a lot from, uh, from this interview. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Canada Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast platform and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's Dr. ity.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions and suggestions. At this point, I'd like to give credit to Jenna Stair for founding Doctority and making all of this possible. Anyways, 
Thanks again for listening. See you all next time.